Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks all of you for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. This is the ContenderCast. This is Justin Hahnemann. Our mission is simple, to shine a light on bright ideas. And today... We are with one of my really good friends who I think many of you know, or some of you will know, um, Clay Scroggins. So Clay, thanks for jumping on the podcast today. Justin, so glad to be on the Contender Cast. Yeah, you kind of like it. Your mission statement, or I don't know what you, your mission statement. Yeah, is you could call it that. Shine a light on bright ideas. I know, and we're going to do that today with you. Gosh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I think I, it's going to be awesome. I need to crank up the brightness. I, know. <laughs> I think we'll have plenty of that. So, um... For those of you that don't know Clay, uh, Clay is a good friend, also another Georgia Tech alum. He's an industrial engineer. <laughs> yep. And uh, we're both industrial engineers, actually. And um, Clay, though, is the pastor, the campus pastor, lead pastor at North Point Community Church in Atlanta. And um, he came up through this this space in the high school uh, ranks leading high school, and then also as a lead pastor at Brownsbridge Community Church before North Point. Um, and it is just awesome to have you here today. So glad to be here. All right. So first of all, Clay, um, we're going to talk about North Point and your background, how you got to where you are here at North Point. And then we're going to jump into your new book I'm real excited about, and we'll we'll cover some of the uh, pieces of that. But how do you go from Georgia Tech engineer to lead pastor at one of the largest churches in the nation? Well, uh, I, let me, let me just start. <laughs> Where do we start? Saying, I have awesome parents. Oh, um, nice. I love them. They love me. They're wonderful. They gave me a great childhood. But when I, I was 22, I came home one weekend from college and I felt like now's the time I got to tell them that I want to go to seminary. And it, I was sobbing in the backseat of my parents' car. Oh my gosh. I remember we pulled up to this pizza place. I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They okay. football there. And uh, I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm just sobbing because I felt like I was going to let them down or disappoint, disappoint them because me leaving Tuscaloosa to go to Georgia Tech was a really big deal. Uh, sure. Tuscaloosa, they like their football. They're not as proud of their education. It's a great education. Right. Great school. But Georgia Tech <laughs> is a great, great school. And, you know, being an industrial engineer from Georgia Tech is not not something small. It, it took a lot of effort. To Absolutely. A lot of work. I remember. I was getting done with that. And... I just felt compelled to follow what I'm most passionate about. And honestly, two experiences shaped me. Number one, I worked at Accenture, a consulting firm. That sounds very familiar. Very, very (laughs) familiar to you. And uh, I I liked it. I didn't love it. And I thought, I don't want to wake up every day and do something I don't love, something I just like. Secondly, I read... For some reason in college, I read uh, Jack Welch straight from the gut. Yep, I remember that book. And it was such a shaping book for me because it made me think, crap, if that's what it's like, if that's what you got to be like to make it in the corporate world, I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. So I followed my passion. I was most passionate about working with high school students and trying to help people make better decisions, have fewer regrets, uh, and particularly with students that were in high school, that was the where I had been volunteering. And so decided that's what I want to do. Wow. And so did you already know it was going to be North Point or how did that process play out? Yeah, that this is not, uh, I, I learned quickly in the ministry world, this is not a very acceptable answer, but <laughs> I was North Point or bust. Oh, wow. I mean, it Zero was, or one. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I'm either going to work at North Point or I'm going to go do something else. Got it. But I'm not doing ministry to do ministry. I want to work at this church. And 
I don't know. There's something that I think that answer feels impure to people who are theologians and sure. professional Christians. Uh, so I remember they gave me a real hard time about that in seminary, being like, you can't say that. You're supposed to be called into ministry, period, no matter what church. But I was like, nope, not me. I want to work at North Point. I had never seen an organization run like this. I mean, I, I we, we really, Andy Stanley, the leader of this organization, does a great job of creating a great culture of leadership. It's very empowering. We are a curious culture. We're constantly learning. People here are constantly learning from outside of the church world, which is very rare in the church world. <laughs> we are inbred. We are an inbred industry, I would say. Uh, and so that was just appealing. I mean, I was working with people that had MBAs and had a lot of education and had done great things outside of church world. And it was inspiring. I mean, people like you that are very totally. involved with our church. Um, I had never experienced that. My When I grew up, I had a youth pastor who made a 14 on his ACT and bragged about it. Sure. And I was like, I think you get 13 points for putting your name down. So what does that say? <laughs> nice. It was not, uh, it was not very inspiring. It was not very appealing. But when I got here, I just was so inspired by this organization. Sure. I thought, I want to work at a place where I'm doing some good, working with people I like, and I'm challenged and, and challenged to learn. Yeah, I remember um, when I first walked through the doors of Buckhead Church, actually, and I remember following you know, Andy launching this church and whatnot. But when I walked through the doors at Buckhead Church, one of the North Point uh, campuses for the first time um, back in the early 2000s, I remember thinking – I almost felt like I'd been wasting my time in in church before that because I learned so much in just one day and one hour and with the people there. And um, it's been so amazing to watch this organization grow and not get outside of its guardrails or its focus and its mission and vision. And I'm sure that's something that you've seen. Um, what do you think? And, and talk about North Point and its size and kind of the numbers yeah, around sure. it. But then also, what do you think is, is kind of driven and fueled some of that growth? Well, uh, yeah. So the, 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 where we're sitting right now, we're sitting at North Point Community Church. Uh, we'll have about 12,000 people here this weekend. Only 12,000. Only 12,000. Right. <laughs> but we'll have, you know, we were, before we you hit record, we were talking about the digital explosion right. that we're experiencing yep. and how that's affecting people's attendance patterns. We'll have probably... We'll have 30,000 people that will watch live on North, uh, Point Online. on North Point Online, and then we'll have uh, podcast downloads, message streams. Just this week, we'll probably have another 100,000 clicks this week of people that will watch, and and people that honestly consider it their church. Sure. In even the Atlanta area, not even out, yep. yeah, some of them in the Atlanta area, and a lot of them not in the Atlanta area. So it's a, it's a large footprint in the church world. We are one of the larger churches in America. We here, I uh, on our team here, we have about a hundred staff. Got it. Uh, for the whole organization, this weekend we'll have about thirty thousand people in attendance, and we'll have about around five hundred full time employees that work for the big organization. And one thing I think if anybody came to visit on Sunday, they'd notice is a lot of people wearing different color T-shirts and in volunteer yep. roles. How, how many volunteers are just at the North Point campus on any given weekend? We have five over five thousand people that serve. Got it. Um, and about, that's just one one weekend, right? Well, that's total for okay, a week. So a lot of those are leading groups during the weekend homes, but on a Sunday. It's it's a it's a couple thousand volunteers, probably about eighteen hundred volunteers to pull off a typical Sunday. Amazing, yeah. I mean, just a fascinating organization. A lot of good good leadership principles from Andy yourself and others. Um, in those, for those of you listening, check out Andy's leadership podcast. And there's other great content and events around the country you can check into. And then North Point Online, of course, is where you can access um, past past message series and, and the current series on the weekend. It's, it's actually, I, I I have to correct you on that, Justin, oh, because please. we actually rebranded. It's now northpoint.live. 
North Point. We are North Live. Point Live. We oh my took, gosh, we, I'm dating myself. We then. went like from North Point Online to North Point Live. That's right. Yeah, by about <laughs> six weeks. That's six right. weeks. Thanks. That's right. Yeah. And I, one other thing about Clay that um, I love is he's got just like this great um, ability to be to have fun and like be serious. And I mean, Clay, coming up through high school ministry and then now into your leadership role, I think you do a good job of bringing like the fun factor and then also bringing like the principles. I mean, you even rap, right? I did until we've got some people now that really rap. And so uh, now I don't. But yeah, when I was in student ministry, we did a lot of spoof raps. I don't know what it is about suburban kids that love... They love themselves some rap. Let's just say that. Oh my gosh. I'll never, that's a, yeah, I've got so many examples of that with you, but um, okay. So um, most importantly, you've got a new book out. Yes. So let's talk about that. How to lead when you are not in charge. So why, why'd you decide to write a book? Yep. Uh, I, let me first say I, it, I, it's a leadership book, but I hesitated to, I even hesitate to say that because I think, who do I think I am? That's my first thought when I thought about writing a leadership book. Was, who do I think I am to write a leadership book? What have I ever led? And if, Anyway, but it's really just my story. It's my professional story. It's what I've learned professionally. Um, I, I work for a multi-site organization, much like a franchise model. And when I became a campus pastor or lead pastor of one of our locations, it was a big move of, of authority. I feel like I gained more authority in that moment than I had ever had before. And so I remember thinking, okay, here we go. Now I'm going to get to lead. And then quickly I realized, oh, wow, that's not true. Now all of a sudden I don't just get to make every decision. That just because you have authority doesn't mean that you get to make all the decisions, doesn't mean you're leading. We all know people who are in the, they have the title, they're in the corner office, they have the position but they're not leading well. And so I started uncovering a myth that I believed, honestly. And then as I've I've done this message a lot, I have found that it resonates with a lot of people that there is a myth of leadership that you have to be in charge in order to lead. But the truth is, influence is the essence of leadership. Influence is, if, if you were to slice leadership right down the middle, it would ooze influence because leadership is ultimately its influence. And if that's true, then it doesn't matter what position you're in. It doesn't matter if you're an intern, middle-level manager, if you're a VP or a SP or a CEO, (laughs) CIO, CMO, it doesn't matter what you do. You have the opportunity to have influence today, which means that you are a leader and you can lead. Uh, But uncovering that myth was a little painful for me because it, it was like, popping a balloon a little bit because there's some dismay that sets in. Right. Well, and you talk about that being a leadership misconception in the beginning of your book uh, around the idea that I can't lead until I have the title or the role or the position when in fact, um, I'd say those that really stand out are those that take on leadership roles throughout their career that are willing to raise their hand and do the small things sometimes and in order to get to bigger things or to make an impact. I mean, what are, what are some of the things you've seen in that space? Well, I've, I've just seen it in myself. I think, honestly, unfortunately, I look back and I feel regret that I didn't take, take up the mantle of leadership sooner that I think I just naturally thought, oh, well, I've got to wait. I've got to wait until I get into that position. And to your point, the people that are great leaders, they're not waiting. I mean, Dr. King did not wait on the title of civil rights leader. Uh, Nelson Mandela did not wait on the title. Mahatma Gandhi did not wait on a title to lead the revolution he led. They just led from the seat that they were in and through influence, people started getting behind them and following them. And I know those are broad, big examples. A lot of times we hear those and we think, well, 
that's not me, bro. If you knew me, I'm like <laughs> right. middle level manager. <laughs> right. What am I supposed to do? But there's something to be learned there for, for all of us. And what we can learn is that you can have influence from wherever you are, but it requires you cultivating influence. And so that's what the book is really about is what do I do? What do I do today to start cultivating influence so that I can start leading since I don't have all the authority that I want. I love the tagline of the book, and yeah. I can say that because yeah. I didn't write it, but I think I the publisher say. wrote it. Uh, it's called Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority. And that's really what every one of us has got to figure out today is how can I cultivate and then leverage influence so that I can make a difference in whatever place that I'm in. Yeah. So one of the things you talk about in the book is um, awareness. And you tell a story about the whip and <laughs> <laughs> that mayonnaise colored whip that I had in high school. So why don't you that's share con- that story and, then, and how that links to um, awareness before you can have influence? Yeah, I, I, I drove in high school. I uh, when I turned 16, my parents, to my, much to my disappointment, passed me down <laughs> a Volvo 240 DL. It's like that box one. that It just looks so European. And you thought uh, you were going to get a different car. I, right? I was hoping to get something with a little more moxie. Right. Yeah. And I remember going to bed that night. You know, kind of, you know, you don't want to be, I didn't, at the time I was, I wanted to please my parents. I wasn't like a rebellious, like, you know, listen to only Nirvana kind of kid. Uh, not there's anything wrong with that, but I just wasn't. <laughs> so, I, so I wasn't like completely ungrateful, but I was trying to find the positive in it. So I went to bed that night going, well, at least it's unique. Sure. The problem is I start driving around the next day and everywhere I look, it feels like there's Volvo 240 DLs. And but like, you well, never saw those. I had never before. seen them before. Right. And that's what started happening to me in my career over the last few years is as I've started realizing that, oh, it's influence, not authority. You start seeing it everywhere. You start sure. seeing people. Honestly, this podcast, Justin, is a great example of that. No one came to you and said, Justin Hahnemann, you have reached the level of your life. Right? It is time to do a podcast. True. You You're just right. said, hey, I want to have influence. I want to be a do person it. that has influence on other people. And part of that means having some hustle and True. doing a doing a podcast to be able to try to help some people. And and so that that that's my point of seeing the Volvo everywhere is now you start when you start really unpacking the myth, you go, "Ooh, I see it everywhere now. I see people who have influence even though they don't have the position. They don't have the title." And and that's what I'm trying to, you know, every day I, I work in an organization where we have six churches in the Atlanta area, and so I sit at a table with six other people that are or five other people that are doing the same job that I'm doing at another location. And if I want to have sway in our organization, if I want to be able to move something forward, I've got to be able to get those other five people who are very smart, thoughtful, driven people in their own right. Right. I've got to get them on my side. I've got to get them leaning into what I'm, what I think is most important so that we can move forward together. Uh, And and everybody's trying to figure that out, no matter what role you're in. No question. So, and another thing we you talked about in your book, and we've talked about this before, is you know the idea of having a personal identity and then understanding yourself. I'll call it inside out. That's a um, that's a great way to put it. Um, How does that play into your ability to influence and and really to make an impact? Yeah, I as I started to get into the book, I started because what what came first were these four behaviors because I really did make myself sit down and go, okay. What are the what are the things that I'm trying to do? If I if I want to lead without having any authority or enough authority or all the authority I want lacking authority, what what are the behaviors? And I came up with those first and and because and they weren't just hey, I want to come up with some philosophies or some principles that could help other people. It was no what am I what literally do I need to do? Sure. But as I started writing, I started thinking, you know what? You can't just apply behaviors to lead well. That leadership, because and we all know people like that, you right. know, who have been to all the conferences, right. have read all the, the notes, books, yeah. they've taken the notes, yep. they've taken all the assessments, 
But they're not leading. No. They just, they know the principles of leadership. So true. So I tried to back up and go, okay, you you can't just give people tips and tricks of leadership and think that that's going to help. You've got to address the core identity that at, at the core of every leader is the leader, that, that, that there is no manual to leadership, that ultimately it is all about you and who you are and how you see yourself. And that word that is a it's a jello, hard to pin to the wall kind of word, but identity. 2015, I believe, dictionary.com yep. named it word of yep. the year. Yep. And I think it's because it's front and center in our culture right now. Sure. Uh, in so many ways, right? In so many ways, right. Yeah. A lot of very controversial, hot topic. <laughs> uh, right. The church has not handled it super well kind sure. of ways. No question. But uh, identity is incredibly important. Who do I Who do I believe that I am? How do I, how do I view other people's view of me? How do I think they're viewing me and what does that say about me? And and then obviously digging into some of the moments in my past that have shaped how I'm seeing myself. Those are really sometimes not as fun to uncover, but it's very important because your identity is so crucial to your leadership, how you see yourself and what you think about the way other people see you. That's to me, it's maybe the most determinative part of leadership is your identity. So that's where I began in the book. Uh, I, I totally agree with that too. I mean, understanding yourself first before you can impact others. So you mentioned there's four behaviors, and um, I think we should walk through those so that our audience gets them and um, understands them. Because I think these are really, you know, if you think about a funnel you, in your book, you really, you set it up so that it led down to these, these critical elements. Uh, the first one, leading yourself first. What I, what I have found is the more I've talked to people about this, the more I've realized no one's really in charge, which is <laughs> right. good and bad. Uh, but just because you're not in charge of everything you want to be in charge of doesn't mean you aren't in charge of something. All sure. of us are in charge of something. So I began with what is what are my primary responsibilities, you know, as an individual, as an individual, as a person, what what am I responsible for today? And what I'm primarily responsible for is leading myself well and choosing the right attitude. And those are the first two big yep. behaviors. Choose positivity. I think it's the second one. Correct? I, I called it choose positivity, which um, I don't like the term because it feels like Norman Vincent Peale and in the church world. <laughs> right. Not everyone likes positive kind of thought like that. Sure. They want it to be deep. And that's a little bubblegum. It's a lightweight word, I would say. But it is, um, to me, the principle is not is not for the faint of heart. That Got to it. be the kind of person that is leading yourself well, and there's been a ton written on self-leadership, but I believe you got to start there because too often when we're not in charge, we think it's my boss's responsibility to lead me well. That if I'm not being led well, it's his fault. It's her sure. fault. Instead of owning it. Instead of saying, no, yep. if I'm going to be well-led, I need to lead myself well. And here's the beauty is that if you lead yourself well, you will ensure that you're always well-led. No question. I love the quote from Tom Watson, former CEO of IBM in the mid 20th century, not the golfer, uh, not to be confused with the golfer, Thomas Watson. Uh, he said, nothing so conclusively proves one's ability to lead other people as what they do on a day-to-day basis to lead themselves. Oh, I love that. I do too. That if you want to prove that you're capable of leading others, you got to start by leading yourself. Show me what someone's doing to lead themselves well today and I'll show you someone capable of leading more. Jesus said it another way. He said, "To who, uh, if you can be trusted with a little, you will be trusted with more." Yep, Same idea. Yeah. yeah, that w- there's the there is a law of personal responsibility that I've got to be responsible for what I am ultimately responsible for, which is leading myself well. And then secondly, it's choosing positivity. It's it's 
it's choosing to have the attitude of a hope-filled, forward-thinking, can-do, this can happen, we're going to make it work kind of attitude. Totally. And that's not easy to do. No, and, and you see that those that walk in with the negative attitude, almost it, it's almost a standout when someone walks in with that. And somebody said to me the other day, Justin, I was speaking to an organization and uh, there, was a, there was a gal over to my left. I will never forget this moment because I... I introduced that point just like I just did. And she goes, that's so inauthentic. And I was like, oh, gosh, tell me how you feel. Not to put you on the spot, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> Don't hold back. But she just blurted it out. And it was kind of a big crowd. She just goes, that's so inauthentic. And I was like, to choose positivity is so inauthentic. Mm-hmm. I guess you're right. I mean, there, is, there are some times where that is inauthentic. Sure. But. What I had to do is I had to back out and go, hey, well, just we got to remember the context of the conversation. The context of the conversation is not let's talk about how to be yourself. Let's talk about how to be fully you. Let's talk about how to have influence. If you want to cultivate influence, there are some times where you've got to fake it until you make it. There are some times where you've got to go, you know what? I'm not excited about this. I don't think it's a great idea. But. But it yep. is my responsibility to lead the team that I'm responsible for yep. well. And leading through cynicism, leading through criticism, leading through negativity doesn't work. No, and it doesn't breed influence. No, and I can tell you on the in my time working in, in the business side of things and in consulting, that's one of the first ways to quickly exit an organization is to consistently be negative or a downer. Yep. Um, your thir- third point, I like, think critically. Yep. So as I started getting into this, the idea of I've got to be responsible for my attitude. That's what I'm, I'm ultimately responsible for more than my energy, excuse me, more than my ideas or experience. What people are going to be impacted by is the energy I bring, particularly the the positive energy I bring. Um, When I started thinking about that, I started going, yeah, but it can't just be positive all the time. You remember those, uh, your, your kids are maybe a little bit older, but have you seen the Lego movie? Oh yes. I love the premise of the Lego movie that Will Ferrell, I love movies in general. Yes. But the Lego movie, it's kind of like the Truman show. It's this, uh, predicted plan society and Will Ferrell's kind of lording over all of it. And he, he's, he, he's basically, he created all of these, uh, Legos to walk around singing this song. Everything is awesome. Yes. Oh yeah. I've and heard it. It's on and Upstreet every week. And so I think I still hear it pretty regularly. <laughs> yes. And the idea is that he's brainwashing them to just be positive. Yeah. So I started thinking about that. And I was like, that's not, that doesn't cultivate influence. Right. Someone who is a rainbow puking unicorn doesn't, doesn't cultivate influence that there's another side to it. And that's why I love thinking critically because Thinking critically is about bringing value. It's about making something better. It's about saying, hey, I'm going to, whatever we're working on today, I want it to have progress. I want it to have movement. And to do that means I've got to be able to think strategically. I've got to be able to think about how can we make what we're doing better. Critical thinkers notice things. They question things. They connect things. And they make things better. And it genuinely is a skill. It's something you can get better at. And if if you are a person that is able to bring critical thought that you're able to bring value and you do it in a positive way that is hope-filled and forward-thinking, you can be a powerful, powerful Absolutely. leader no matter how much authority you have or don't have. So I think critical thinking really is a powerful component to for those of us who are not in charge. No question. I think and the, the bottom line in that too is how do you consistently consistently try to make things better and, and ask questions on how it could be better? Yes. Um, the last one, reject passivity. Yes. So here's my, this is what I least like about not being in charge. Uh, you know, the fun, the fun part about being in charge is 
well, I asked Frank Blake, former CEO of Home Depot, about this. I said, Frank, tell me what, what tell me what you loved about being in charge. He said, the corporate jet. Which I'm like, that, okay, that's got to be pretty awesome. Uh, I don't work in that kind of church where we have right. a corporate jet. But the fun thing about it, to me, the, the best thing about being in charge is you get to be the one to make the decision. Sure. You get to be the one to make the call. You know, are we going to go left or are we going to go right? It's my call. Now, sometimes that's a burden, but there's at least a sense of control in that. Sure. And the downside of not being in charge is you feel out of control. We've all had bosses that do the swoop and poop where right. everybody puts their hand in the middle of the room says we're gonna make the decision decision on three one two three go we all walk out start executing the decision the boss comes in two weeks later and, and goes oh things. it's changed yes. we're not gonna do that anymore yep. and everybody goes oh are you kidding me no the course. problem is next time we have the meeting everybody puts their hand in the middle of the room hand wheel decision on three one two three decision go i'm not going to apply energy and they're not bought in and i'm not going to be i'm not going to yeah. buy in because yep. last time it didn't work out so that's passivity and it sets in on us like the flu. I mean, it, it, it creeps into our system and it bakes itself like cheese and macaroni and cheese. It bakes into us right. in such a negative way because it creates, it creates leaders who are not leading well through action and through intention and sure. we get passive. And so what I found is, you know what? I've become a victim. I've become passive mm -hmm. because I, don't, I didn't get invited to the meeting. I didn't, I wasn't given all the authority that I think I need or that I think I deserve. And so I just naturally know that my tendency is to get passive. So I felt like those first three are things that you have to do. The first two are things you can own yourself. The third one's a skill you can develop. The fourth one is something you have to fight off. You have to literally fight it. You have to fight to not catch it. Got it. So you have to actually reject passivity, which means you got to pick something up today. Whatever you're doing, yep. pick something up. The, in our organization, it's not the people that are sitting there with their hands open that get handed things. Right. It's the people that have their hands to something that get and handed things. It's the busiest it. yep. people. Totally. So the illustration I like to use in this is um, when, I, when I was first an intern here, I was a facilities intern summer of 1999. Mm. And the first thing we have interns do then, still do this now, is there's a closet that just accumulates junk yeah, right. over the year, just like your house. And we have interns that just naturally coincides with their start date that they get the opportunity to clean, clean out, out that closet. closet. Exactly. Nice. Well, we all have closets in our organizations that need to be cleaned out in the same way. It might not be a literal closet, but you have a metaphorical closet, figurative closet. One, a couple of years ago, I saw an intern who had heard about this ritual and just didn't wait to be told, but got busy cleaning Started it out. cleaning out the closet. And didn't wait. To, for someone to say, here's how we want you to do it. Right. They just said, hey, what would be the best way to do this? We're going to do it. And if it's wrong, we'll come back and change it. But I'm going to, I'm going to have initiative. I'm going to act on right. what I know needs to be fixed. And what I have been challenged with myself is if that intern did that, then I've got to be able to do that today. That There Absolutely. are closets in our organization. The things that we sit in meetings every Monday and talk about man, that happened again. Sure. Oh, well, here oh, comes well. next week yep. and, and nobody fixes again. it. And yep. then it happens again. And yep. then it happens again that that's a closet that needs to be cleaned out. And I don't need to wait until someone tells me to do it. I can go do it today. And here's what I've learned, Justin, is that we think, well, but you're going to waste time if they come back and say you're doing it the wrong way. No, I believe that if no matter no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're doing it, if you can be a person that's learning from it, mm -hmm. then it's never wasted. Even totally. if they come back and switch it up on you and change it and make you do it different, you've learned something in the process no and you haven't wasted effort because 
activity always is an opportunity for us to learn. So those are the behaviors that you would lead yourself well, choose positivity, that you'd think critically and that you'd reject passivity. And I, I deeply believe if you if you or I chose to do those today, we would cultivate more influence in the seat. <laughs> no there. question. Well, I loved reading the book. I, I What I loved about it too is it's not a typical leadership book in that you've interjected a lot of humor and stories and like your personality. And I just think it makes it more interesting, but also I think that's what helps people to learn. You know what I mean? Just yeah. the balance of that. So, well, thank you. Right. One of my favorite <laughs> compliments, awesome. a few people have said that book had more nineties rap references right. than any leadership book I've ever I need you written. to do a rap for one of my next songs though. <laughs> we got to make that work. Um, all right. So aside from that, where can everyone find your book? It's, it's at all the, hopefully major retailers, uh, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, um, any one of those locations, or if you go to if you go to uh, clayscroggins.com, I hate that domain because it feels so. <laughs> it's pompous. your name, though. exactly. I mean, um, but it makes the most sense to have that be the domain. But if you go to clayscroggins.com, you can uh, put your email in, and we're going to be this fall. We're doing a lot of. Uh, we're, we're finding that a lot of people are using this with groups, and so we're passing out a lot of video content, a lot of discussion questions for people to be able to use with their teams at work, because a lot of people are finding this to be best digested in the context of, of conversation group. Awesome. group yeah well yeah. very cool well hey man thanks so much for jumping on the podcast contender cast thank you <laughs> awesome for more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content tools and resources check out contenderbrands.com also you can download other contender cast episodes directly via the apple itunes app store and google play store and remember every winner started as a contender.